is the African-American community and the African-American family structure in need of rescuing. Let's get into it. Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. Welcome, 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 family, back to another episode of Jacob Seed Podcast, uh, where the diaspora speaks. The whole purpose of this podcast is to get encouraging, uplifting, thought-provoking content out to the African-American community who are a part of the African-Semitic diaspora. Our aim is to seek truth, live it out, and inform others. I thank you all for uh, joining this episode and all the episodes that you've joined. If you've been rocking with us for this uh, year or so that we've been doing this, I thank you uh, for every like that we, you give on our Instagram page at Jacob C 12 on Instagram, um, as well as Jacob C podcast on Facebook. If you haven't followed those already, please follow those. We thank you for all of our followers, all everybody who shared something, who's liked something. Uh, we thank you for everybody who's uh, who bought something on our store. If you haven't purchased any merch, you can go to Jacob C podcast.com, uh, select that store button. You you can buy everything from t-shirts hoodies notebooks uh we got it all um there's something added to it every single day and we thank you again for all the people who continue to support us if you would like to support us monetarily um you can also go to jacobcpodcast.com press on that support tab you can do a one-time uh donation or you can uh support us monthly with as little as 99 cents a month lastly the best way to support this podcast is to keep on listening tell mom and him and everybody about it uh, make sure you share it um, and continue to get the word out about Jacob C. Podcast that we're trying to send encouraging, uplifting, thought-provoking content out to the African-American communities all around the world. Um, so let's get right into this. Uh, as you heard in the intro, does the African-American community need a savior? Does the African-American family need a savior? I have with me, um, back by popular demand, my wife, um, sometimes co-host, Teresa. Shalom, shalom, everybody. What's going on? Not much. Not much. Yeah, I wish I wish y'all could see her during the uh, the intro music. She was over here shadow boxing, like she was uh, Mike Tyson, about to get into the ring. I guess she was. <laughs> I guess she was feeling that uh that Malcolm X Nina Simone kind of mash up there. Yeah, I do nerdy stuff. Yeah, man, I'm not going to correct you there. Uh, <laughs> so um, as kind of me and my wife uh, briefly discussed um, uh, later, uh, earlier this day, um, really, does the African-American community need saving? And why would we structure the question like that? It's because obviously we have issues in the African-American mm -hmm. community, um, whether yeah. that be um, motherlessness, fatherlessness, um, High crime rate, high drug use, high disease, um, poverty, poverty, miseducation, mm, yep. um, um, high unemployment, all these different things. Now you we know it. that's yes, we know that's not true for every single African American community because we right. know there are affluent communities on the West Coast. You're talking about Baldwin Hills, and um, there are affluent zip codes in Maryland, and all those things. We're not talking about that, um, but we're talking about your typical run-of-the-mill 
African-American community, whether rural or urban. We talk about this because this is a, this is we're in an election season. Right. And uh, we're in a highly tense political season where, you know, we've just uh, this country just elected a new president, Joe Biden, and a new uh, vice president, Kamala Harris, although the current president uh, refuses to concede and admit that he lost. He, he's lost. It's over with. <laughs> um, and in these next two years, wherever you live, you're going to see commercials um, from your congressmen and representatives about why you should vote for them um, in these upcoming elections two years from now. So they're going to be starting now. And um, if I know if we know anything about Donald Trump, uh, he's probably going to start his his campaign for 2024 Mm-hmm. January 24th, 2021. And we're going to be hearing from him a lot. Um, and it's funny because a lot of, when we talk about politics, right? So one of the um, aims of the show is to use politics and faith and current events um, and all those kind of things to see how they impact the so-called African-American community. Mm-hmm. Um, and since we're in this highly charged political season, we wanted to look at, um, first of all, does the African-American community need saving by anybody outside of themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, what are some elements that could save them? Is it politics? Is it faith? Is it, I don't know, entrepreneurship? Is it is it businesses coming in? Is it keeping our dollar? Well, like, we hear that a lot, too. Like, mm-hmm. keep the dollar within the black community and all your problems will disappear. Right. You know, um, is that a thing? You know, vote for Biden, all your problems will disappear. <laughs> vote for Trump, all your problems. Vote for Obama, vote for Clinton, whoever. Yeah. All your problems will disappear. Go to this church. Go to that church. Be Muslim. Be Jewish. Be Christian. Uh, be a Hebrew, you know, all your problems disappear. Right. You know, uh, what, mm. what is the, how do we save ourselves? Right. Or do the question is, I guess, do we need saving? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think the assumption already is out there that the African American community needs saving. That's mm. why there's so much tension around, you know, what's being done for that, for our community, what has been done, you know, uh, all kinds of empty promises being made, why there's so much tension politically and even in the certain faith circles. Like if, if people didn't think we needed saving quote unquote, there wouldn't, it wouldn't be even a subject. Like you'd never hear these types of conversations about any, uh, I don't, I, at least I haven't heard this, these types of conversations around other nations, other, um, culture groups right that's it's not even a thing so you know fortunately there is an assumption that we need saving so now what that looks like everybody has apparently has an agenda for the african-american community except for the african-american man what (laughs) so politically faith wise i mean (laughs) if you think about when we were brought here their agenda to fix quote unquote, fix whatever problem they thought was wrong with us. Right. Was Christianity. Right. We'll give them, we'll force them to be Christians and that'll make them like us. At least they'll, their souls will be saved or right. whatever. They'll have dignity. They won't be savages anymore. And even with that, <laughs> they still treat us like, I mean, that yeah. didn't really help because you didn't free your people after you right. quote unquote, free their souls. Right. And, and there's a book out there. I, can't, I don't remember the name of the book exactly, but there is a quote there where the, um, the European Christians who brought the, um, who brought people over here to be slaves from the African continent. Um, they had an argument 
about the Christians? Should we make them Christian? Because mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. the ones who were theologically sound knew that, man, I can't, I can't call this person my Christian brothers and sisters and still enslave them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to, to, to have, what is it, cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. they said, well, we can enslave the body, but free the soul. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what your European Christian said when bringing, uh, bringing our kings and queens over here our brothers and sisters, our cousins, our aunts and uncles over here to be mm-hmm. slaves. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the question remains, do we really need saving? Why do, why does the system think that we need to be saved? Right. And, and let's, let's, let's touch on politics first. Cause that's, yeah. that's a, that's the hot topic. That's where we're at right now. So number one, can, can politics save the African American community? Um, what policies, because I went down this rabbit hole last night, so um, I'm not going to read them all. You guys can go Google um, Kamala Harris voting record, Mike Pence voting record, um, Joe Biden voting record. And then because uh, Donald Trump has never been in politics outside of these last four years, you type in um, Donald Trump's executive orders. And all those things are on government websites, uh, free, to, um, free to look at. And it's it's crazy because a lot of their stuff is like frivolous stuff that we wouldn't even think of. Like, why would you make a bill for that? You know, um, like bills to make sure that, you know, if a judge dies, they, um, you know, there's there's a there's the right kind of secession from one judge to another, like stuff like that. Like, mm. um, I would say uh, Kamala Harris stuff was I'm not a huge fan of Kamala Harris, but I would say a lot of her stuff was. Uh, tilted toward um, money toward HBCUs, recognizing uh, people of color, African-Americans in, in, in particular of, of past stuff they did in history, especially uh, mm. particularly American history. So recognizing Buffalo soldiers, make sure, you know, Harriet Tubman is recognized, recognizing, um, you know, Booker T. Washington's and all these other different people. Mm-hmm. So I will say she did that. Uh, but the, 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 does any of those policies actually change the African-American community or uh, for the better, or does it do anything to um, empower the African-American family, um, uh, whether it's Joe Biden and his 94 crime bill? Um, and there's a lot of, you know, myths around that as well. A lot of legends around that as well. A lot of some things in there were God awful horrible. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of things in there talked about, you know, the the um, um, the act against uh, violence against women. Um, and there was like a provision in there for like sex trafficking or something like that. Um, so some things were good and then, but overall the bill was trash. Um, so you you can look at all their voting records and then, uh, look at, uh, Donald Trump's executive orders or whatever, like none of that stuff. So every four years, the black community is, or the African, (laughs) the African community is like sought after for their vote. Right. Now you matter. Hot topic. You know, one time out of every four years, you matter. Right. Right. Come give me your vote. Mm-hmm. I will save you. I will bring you up out of poverty and mm-hmm. correct the criminal justice system. And mm-hmm. It's funny how these talking points are the same talking points every four mm-hmm. years, which tells me. Unemployment will be better. Right. Which tells me they ain't really do nothing. If these are the same talking points every four years, that means nothing has changed. Right. Um, go ahead. So that was going to be my point when you asked, like, is politics the answer? Well, you look at the history of things. All of the promises made over the years, has, has it really help the community at large. Yeah, maybe a few people may have benefited from it here and there, but as a whole and on a consistent basis, 
if if the issue was solved, it should never come back up every right. four years. Right. So now you're just you just have this little carrot that's dangling in front of people. <laughs> And it's like, oh, well, this time you'll get it. Well, this time you'll get it. This, And then it goes back and forth between both parties. Right. Because each party is saying something similar. And then when one gets voted in, nothing changes. The other one gets voted in and everybody's up and out. Whatever. It, it doesn't change anything. Right. Now, um, at least not at that level, not at the you know presidential level and heck, even Congress or whatever. I think... Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I think where you're going is if politics were the answer, yeah, slim chance, mm-hmm. if it were the answer, um, it would have to come at the local level. Right, yeah. Because it's only through, so we, we look at our city now, it's only by an act of a mayor or city council that we can funnel more money into the African-American community to help build libraries, to mm-hmm. remodel schools, to um, uh, to fix up, uh, to, to give to private businesses to to fix up um, apartments that's like, you know, 80% boarded up mm-hmm. and then the other 20% you're still renting out. Like, that shouldn't be. Yeah. Like, the, the, the city should make some provision. Like, yo, if you're doing that, like, the city's just going to just grab your property and we're going to do something better with it. Something. But most mayors don't think like that. Most yeah. mayors just, you know, they, they sit in their little office or whatever and uh, go to the mayor's mansion, their house or whatever, however that stuff works. And um, they're not really thinking about those people in the city, mm. you know, they're not thinking about the people in the South side because that's where most of us be at in most cities, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or the North or the, or the, either in the South side or the, or the, or the, uh, or the Northeast side of town. Mm-hmm. Ain't thinking about none of them people. All right. Um, cause they're impoverished. They probably didn't vote for you. Mm-hmm. They don't move the needle when it comes to your, right. they can't um, help when you. it comes to your, your economy and your city, they don't bring in nothing. They don't right. give nothing. Right. You know? Um, so they think of you as that. Nothing. Yeah, and I mean, when you think of it, and even in, in, with a business mindset, right? If you're that's not, what a city is. Yeah, it's a business. If you don't bring in anything, I like you're not. There's no reason for me to be invested. Right. That invested. Now, if it if it's going to help for some reason, maybe if you're if if I can get you out to vote for me, yeah, I'll use you as a pawn just to get me to where I need to go. But in terms of a long term relationship, long term investment in helping your community. If you're not bringing anything to the table, they're not going to do anything. Nothing. And so help at the local level is probably the closest you'll get to having some assistance. But at this, but even with that, it comes with strings attached. Like you have like, it's one of those, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right. It's never this benevolent, let me put all my chips on the table to help this area of town, which is overly, you know, overcrowded, overly po- impoverished. It's just and now if they're going to do anything about it, they're um, it's uh, what do you call it? What? When they just completely just gentrification. Re- yes. Gentrification. And, that, and that's what's going on in our city and every probably city, every large urban center in America. It's probably happening. So, right. So it's not really helping that community. Because no, in our city, they just kicked everybody out. And they can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> they kicked everybody in and ain't nobody coming back. They can't afford it. You're right. Right. So now you just jack up all these prices and you're like, oh, look, we've beautified this neighborhood, which was, you know, crime ridden. And the people that used to live there just aren't there anymore. Like they right. don't, they didn't just decide to leave because it's too pretty. Right. You right. <laughs> right. You now, now what they do is they make a provision. There. Now what they do is they say, well, we'll, we'll invite certain families back 
via voucher. But they handpick those families, and they're usually elderly. They're not going to be there too long because either they're going to die because they old. Let's be honest, mm. or they're just not going. They'll make it so bad. Like, imagine my grandmother. I'm thinking my grandmother's 80 years old, and I'm thinking her living in an urban area all of her life. Then all of a sudden, they knock everything down, build all this stuff up, and all of a sudden, these quote unquote young professionals, which is code for young, white, and sometimes gay. Uh, come to my community mm-hmm. and there's coffee shops and there's where it used to be somewhat quiet. Maybe the most noise you get is some kids running around or, or let's be honest, in some neighborhoods you do have a little bit of gunfire or streaking mm-hmm. of the tire, somebody running off from some type of crime, being honest. Uh, but that's the most you got. But now there's lights all over the place. It's, everything is super bright. There's there's traffic, boom, 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 cars going this way, that way, coffee shops and 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 and. Uh, cafes, all this, all this stuff going on, restaurants and all this mm-hmm. busy traffic. Like she ain't about to stay there too much longer. She going to try to find a way to get the heck up out of there. And they know that. Mm. And that's why they, they handpick certain people who not going to probably stay long because of their age, or because they know they're not going to be comfortable in that kind of environment. And it's pretty whack. Uh, but yeah, mm. that's, it's kind of the politic thing. And, and I, and we have a clip real quick that we want to play for y'all. Um, it's only about what, seven minutes. Uh, and it's, it's Malcolm X talking about, liberals and conservatives and this is back in the 60s and we'll see if anything has changed so um let me pull this clip up real quick this is back this is malcolm x again back in the 70s talking about liberals and conservatives because remember when we talk about liberals and conservatives everybody assumes it's you know democrats republicans uh, it was kind of flipped mm-hmm. back in malcolm x day because the republican would have been the liberal and the democrat would have been the, the conservative back in his time it flipped during the nixon deal, but that's a whole nother podcast for another day. But either way, it ain't changed, in my opinion. We'll, we'll okay. see. Let's listen to what Malcolm had to say. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. Mm. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. Mm. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game. Let's pause it for a second. <laughs> mm. uh, tell me what's changed. So he point blank just said, this is, and this is in the 60s, y'all, the liberal is more cunning than the conservative because the liberal has mastered the art of deception. Mm. They're your friend. So today we're talking about liberals, we're talking about Democrats, right? We're talking about the far left, we're talking about your Bernie Sanders and your Joe Bidens and your Barack Obamas and your Clinton families and John Kerry's and all them people. 
right? So they said, you know, the, the Democratic Party is the party for African-Americans. Joe Biden even went so far to say, if you don't vote for me as a mm-hmm. Democrat, you ain't black. Mm-hmm. And it's over the years that 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 African-Americans <laughs> have been tricked to voting Democrat. Now, let's get this straight now. Nobody on this on this uh, podcast is Democrat, Republican. We are That's politically agnostic. All right. We ain't nothing. Neither. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we <laughs> for the most high. All right. We're people of faith. Um, we don't believe these. We don't believe in these political systems. Um, I did have a whole podcast on how I voted for Kanye. And yes, I sure did vote for Kanye. I vote for him again in 2024. <laughs> oh but I know gosh. that even though I know voting for Kanye won't change anything, uh, that, then you got to listen to that podcast to hear why I voted for Kanye and the reason why I still vote. Uh, Cause I'm not getting all that, but still the liberal party, the democratic party has mastered the art of deception. Hmm. And why do they say the art of deception? Because the conservative party, the Republicans, you know what you're going to get. They upfront and honest. We're going to cut taxes. We're going to get rid of all this welfare. We're going to get rid of all this, uh, <laughs> this public aid. You're going to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Or you're going to get the heck up out of this country and go back to Africa. Very clear point, direct. That's what we're going to do. And that's back. Now, back with now you a fool to think that them liberals ain't thinking the same thing. The mm. only difference is their form of slavery is different than the conservatives. Mm. The conservatives come with the Confederate flag and, you know, the South will rise again. Clayton. You know, yeah. Clayton Bigsby's out here, you know. Right. But I'm just, the, just like out in the open, blatant. Absolutely. You know, I want you to be my slave type. Well, absolutely. Vibe, yeah. And that's, and that's not, I don't want to paint every conservative as one way uh, by any means. That's just a, a general, uh, you know, broad brushing of a conservative, right? They're very faith-based, fundamentalist, um, they believe in pulling people up by their own bootstraps. They don't understand why black people are poor. African-Americans are poor. They're going to tell you, get over slavery and uh, racism doesn't exist. Just broad stroking. It. <laughs> All right. Now, that's direct and forward. The Democrat, on the other hand, the liberal, would tell you that systematic racism exists. Mm-hmm. Why would you tell somebody that we've enslaved to pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Um, they can't do it on their own. They need some help. They need these programs. Mm-hmm. But what they don't tell you is those programs are a form of slavery. So if you didn't know, you can't be on public aid and be a full family. What does that mean? <laughs> if, if I left this house right now and you got on public aid mm-hmm. to help these kids out, God forbid anything happened to me because I know I wouldn't leave. So I walk outside and get hit by a truck. <laughs> yeah. You get on public aid. If you decided to get remarried, you can't do that. And be on public aid. Because the brother mm-hmm. can't come in the house. Mm-hmm. Daddy can't be home. Right. You can't get educated. Because education means that you can now can you can get a job. You don't need this assistance anymore. Right. You can't you can't get a job that pays you enough money to get off of this assistance because we're gonna snatch it away from you. So if you want to keep these, you want to keep public aid and welfare and you want to stay on these systems, don't get educated. Don't go get a husband, don't go get a wife, don't go get a real job. Stay with us and we'll keep you impoverished and in poverty and making you think you really got something and we really care for you. Look mm-hmm. at all the programs we push. These programs, these programs, it's the reason why they call them programs. Like if anything comes for free, like I, and I've known this just working in the, in the, you know, in, in the business sector, if anything is free, you are not the consumer. You have become the product. Uh-oh. You're the test dummy. You're the lab rat. <laughs> You're not the consumer. 
And last time I checked, mm-hmm. you ain't got to do nothing but be poor and uneducated to be on public aid welfare now. There's something, I don't, I don't want to broad stroke that either. There's some people who actually need it, right. who are right. in need. We, we know some people. We ourselves, early on in our marriage, we were on it. Mm-hmm. Full transparency. We were on it. But when we saw the opportunity to get off, we took that opportunity. We yeah. got ourselves educated. We got good jobs and all these different things. My mother was on uh, public aid growing up, but she was, a, she, was a, she was in college, a single mother, going through college, working two part-time jobs. She wasn't lazy, you know, putting it on, you know, uh, just on the couch, opening her legs up and having all these kids, waiting for somebody to mm-hmm. put her in a Section 8 home. She worked hard, got herself in a corporate job, uh, worked there for 25 years, ended up owning her own home and all that good stuff. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. uh, there are people who get on it but get off because they really need it. Then there are the people who fall into this liberal democratic trap and make these programs they create um, – like a way of life. Yeah, like, I, th- I think it just becomes a trap because the issue is not like, and it's weird to even say like, if you get educated, you can't get this pro- this uh, assistance. And the issue is not that they can't get educated. It's that a lot of times people who are in those situations who have grown up on public aid. Right. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that some of them want to get get off. Now, some people just definitely yeah, and don't. Some of them, and some of them do. Some people, yeah, they do, but some of them don't. But, the barrier, like the transition is not smooth, right? So it's like, okay, you go get yourself an education. Number one, education is expensive. Right. Y'all charge too doggone much for college. Exactly. But that's my own soapbox. other box. countries, it's free. Um, free. And then, <laughs> you know, once they get that education, whether it's a two-year program or even a four-year program, a lot of times, like depending on what your situation is at home, you still can't get a job to fully support your family. Right and pay your new bill that you've acquired because you most likely have to get student loans. Oh, because the Fed coming after their money now. Right. Now, <laughs> granted, there's ways, to, you know, around that, but the the process from, hey, you can just be comfortable and we take care of you, uh, you know, that the transition from, yeah, we do that, and, you know, you can be out on your own and just scraping and struggling. Because I've seen students who struggle in college, and they're like, I mean, they're struggling, Mm-hmm. And they know they could easily go back home and just be on public aid and not have to struggle that hard. So now you have to have you have to, you have two different mindsets: the mindset of I'm going to do everything that I can to get up out of this, mm-hmm. or it's too much. I'm going to stay here. So now you ha- you know just like you had two types of slaves. I'm not about to risk my life, work hard to get off this plantation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to stay here because at least everything's given. Right. Versus the one who's like. I don't care if it kills me. I'm going to be free. You don't want to out of here. So, <laughs> again, so the issue is not like, you know, just because you get education, you don't get it. I think it goes back to the mindset and you get trapped. Yeah. You get trapped in those programs. You get trapped into believing that, hey, it's just easier for you to be here. We'll take care of you. Right. The government got you. We care for you and your people. Like, it's not. But you don't. They don't. They're keeping you trapped. They're preventing you from accessing all the creativity you have, all the power you have. And that's the thing. That's, And I think to me that's what it taps into. Why go through such great lengths to keep a certain group of people trapped, whether it's in prison or through public aid or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's it's power. Like, you, you, you know. Anyway. You know. And, and, and you know what they don't tell you is have, yeah. and they make the statistic like, oh, well, most black people, because I heard somebody told me that, <sighs> what? whatever 
She didn't say <laughs> but she didn't say African Americans or black people. I knew who she was talking about. This old white lady I used to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, she said they. I knew who they was. <laughs> you always she, know who they is. You, know, you always know who they is. <laughs> And you know, whatever. Old old folks, white, black, whomever, they just start saying so when you, once you get a certain age, you start saying stuff you don't care. But uh like yeah, because all them all them, all they are on public aid and welfare anyway. I said, Well who? Who is they? Who is all? But you know what I'm talking about. I said, I sure do. And I know a lot of them and they're not. So let's right. let's get this conversation right. And what they don't tell you is the majority of people who benefit from public aid and welfare are the same people who it was originally made for in the first place, which mm-hmm. is white women. Mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. go all the way back and do your history and go back to FDR's New Deal, public aid and welfare was not provided to the African American community. We were actually um, um, uh, not allowed to have it because it said everybody can get it except for those who are in the um, indentured servanthood, pretty much. So you're somebody's maid or nanny or you work in the field somewhere you a sharecropper you work in the um uh the farms or whatnot like you can't you can't get this this stuff and who was who was picking cotton and 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 nursing other people's babies uh back in the uh 1930s and 40s and 50s us white women wasn't white for sure what it was us's you know what i'm saying it was african-americans that were doing that and then when they put just put money into the white family's hands, into these so-called white family's hands, allow them built houses and gave it to them for pennies on a dollar out in the suburbs so they can get away from us. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, oh, well, y'all can have these, you know, run down, vacant public housing. We don't need them no more. You have our sloppy seconds. We don't need these programs no more, uh, which they still do because that's a lie. Because still to this day, um, more, <coughs> excuse me, Mm-mm. um, uh, more, uh, <laughs> no letters and numbers over here. Trust mm-hmm. me. Um, more white women benefit from those programs anyway, but they paint it as, you know, uh, you African-Americans, y'all need us because Democrats, liberals will keep these programs so that, uh, you guys can survive in this country when we know we don't need those programs to, to survive here. But let's, let's mm-hmm. continue to listen to, uh, Malcolm X and, and see what else he oh, got to say. I forgot who's doing that. <laughs> See, let's see what else uh, Professor X got to say. That is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. Mm. And the white liberals control this ball through tricks or tokenism, false promises of integration and civil rights. Mm. In this game of deceiving and using the American Negro, the white liberals have complete cooperation of the Negro civil rights leader who sell our people out for a few crumbs of token recognition, token gains, token progress. In the New York Tribune, in an editorial dated February the 5th, 1960, they pointed out that out of 11 million qualified Negro voters, only 2,700,000 actually take time to vote. Wow. This means that, roughly speaking, only 3 million out of the 11 million Negroes who are qualified to vote take an active part. And the remaining 8 million remain voluntarily inactive. Mm. And yet it is this small minority, the 3 million Negro voters, who help determine who will be the next president. If who will be the next president can be influenced by three million Negro voters, 
It is easy to see why the presidential candidates of both political parties put on such a false show with the Civil Rights Bill and promises of integration. They must impress the three million voting Negroes who are the actual integration seekers. And if so much fuss is made over these three million integration seekers, what would the presidential candidates have to do to appease the eight million non-voting Negroes if they ever decided to become politically active? They hold the balance of power. Who are the eight million non-voting Negroes? What do they want? And why don't they vote? The three million uh, Negro, uh, Negro voters are the so-called middle-class Negroes, or high-class Negroes, or uppity Negroes, <laughs> who are referred to by the late Howard University sociology professor E. Franklin Frazier as the black bourgeoisie, who have been educated to think as patriotic individualists with no racial pride whatsoever, mm. who believe in and look forward to the future integrated intermarried society that is constantly being promised to them by the Negro politician. I'll pause that right there. Now, uh, what Malcolm has said so far that's wrong, that's off, or that's not happening in 2020? No lies detected yet. It's crazy that the same thing that was happening in 1960, as far as, you know, can politics save the um, African-American community, is the same stuff that's happening right here in 2020. It's ridiculous. So you have these so-called, like you said, black bourgeoisies, high class, middle class, whatever. We're not talking about all black middle class because, you know, my parents are in the middle class. Uh, you know, we almost there. We ain't quite there yet. We got a little ways to go. But it's all right. You know, I'll <laughs> praise the most high. Uh, he got us. You know, we get everything from him anyway. But, um, you know, my parents in the, in the middle class, and they're very, you know, active, very proud of their race, um, very proud to be African-Americans, um, uh, proud to be Hebrews, all that stuff. We know we have some brews and um, people of all different faiths and, and backgrounds and cultures that's in this, this, this African-American middle class or high class that's very um, pro diaspora culture pro-diaspora mm -hmm. people and very mm -hmm. active on this continent and the motherland as well uh, getting people educated getting people mm -hmm. jobs getting um creating jobs in those in different communities um in different countries even in africa and uh creating schools and curriculums and all of the kind of things we had a uh we have a friend uh, we have a friend uh bartholomew jones and his wife who were who are guests on this podcast and i don't know if they're quite in the middle class if they're not there yet they're gonna get there um, you know, owning their own business, owning their own coffee shop. And, and when I tell you they have the opportunity, and if you listen to that podcast, he even says we have, we have the opportunity to move out to the suburbs. We can afford it, but we want to stay right here in the, in the, in the, in the African-American neighborhood because we want our product, both us and our product, to be in the neighborhood to serve that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They've made that decision. So uh, I don't want to broad stroke and say that every single black person with a little bit of money, mm -hmm. you know, is a coon because that's not the case. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but we do know that the ones who are deep in politics, the ones that control the politics, the ones that speak for us. So you're, whether it's on whatever side, whether it's your Oprah or your Ben Carson, like something's iffy going on with those relationships with the liberals and the conservatives. Mm. And there's only a few number that they actually let into those political arenas. 
And those are the ones who speak for us, mm -hmm. as, as uh, Malcolm X would say. But what about the other people who don't vote, who don't have a voice? Mm. What they think? What do they need? What do they want? Those are the people who really own the power. Because if the, those people, those who were not in the know, were not in the, uh, uh, the good graces of the Republican Party, Democratic Party, if they ever stood up and asked for stuff and demanded something, mm -hmm. if you want my vote, you want to come up in this community, you want to be a representative of this state, um, you're going to have to give us something. Yeah. We don't just we don't give our vote away for free. What, what would happen if those people stood up? Or if they said, you know, bump this. Mm -hmm. We could live better somewhere else, whether that's Canada, Mexico, Nigeria, Kenya. I don't know. Great mm -hmm. Britain. I don't know. Like, we up out of here. Like, that would devastate this economy. Like, what would ever happen if those people stood up? and did something for themselves. Hmm. That, that would be powerful. And that's why I think why Malcolm X, like they hold the balance of power, right? Yeah. You gonna say something? No, that's good. I'm right. just listening. Let's continue on Malcolm X. And therefore, this integration-minded three million minority remain an active part of the white-controlled political parties. But it must never be overlooked that these three million Negro integration seekers are only a small minority of the 11 million qualified Negro voters. The 8 million non-voting Negroes are the majority, the downtrodden black masses. They have refused to vote. They've refused to take a part in politics because they reject the Uncle Tom approach of the clergy politician leadership that has been handpicked for the, for the so-called Negroes by the white man himself. Mm. This clergy politician leadership does not speak for the Negro majority. They don't speak for the black masses. They speak for the black bourgeoisie, mm. the brainwashed, white-minded, middle-class minority, who because they are ashamed of their race, because they are ashamed of being black, and don't want to be identified with black, they are seeking to lose this black identity by mixing and mingling and intermarrying and integrating with the white society. Mm. The race problem cannot be solved by listening to the white-minded, brainwashed minority. The white man must try to learn what the black majority wants. The president would be wise to try and learn what the black masses want. And the only way to find this out is by listening to the man who speaks for the black masses. And I can declare to you tonight and to the entire world that the man here in America who speaks for the majority, the downtrodden, dissatisfied black masses, is this same man who so many thousands of our people are flocking toward to see and hear. This same Mr. Muhammad who is... And we don't necessarily agree with that on this podcast, uh, that Mr. Muhammad speaks for all... Uh, African-Americans just want to put that out there because okay. we're, we're not a part of the nation of Islam just to make that clear but let's continue there's only a few seconds left labeled by you as a black supremacist and as a racist and as an extremist if the three million middle-class Negroes are casting their ballots for integration and intermarriage what do the non-voting black masses who are in the majority want Find out what the black masses want, and then perhaps America's grave race problem can be solved.
Wow. So in Malcolm X's opinion, the great race problem in America uh, can only be solved when politicians begin to focus on the black masses and not the ones that they parade on their, their rallies, pretty much. Not the Oprahs and the Ben Carsons, but the, uh, the, the, the Ray Ray and them's. What they want, what they're looking after, what, what do they need? For real need, not no highfalutin programs is going to keep them in the same, you know, impoverished cycle. But mm-hmm. what do we really need? So if they really like, where, where the, where's the, where's the uh, state of the art middle schools, high schools in the hood? Where those at? Where, 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 are, liter- mm-hmm. where are literacy programs that actually work? Where are they at? You know what I'm saying? Where, yeah. where, are, where are job job placement programs that really put you in a job that's going to allow you to um, get out of your situation. Like I ain't got to pay rent no more. I can buy a house or at least I can buy a property or something like where are those programs at. Yeah. And I mean, uh, to me, I'll say this and then we can, you know, segue into how faith plays a way in all it uh, plays a role in all of this. Um, number one, the fact that they are allowing only a select few, um, you know, so-called African-Americans in their circles or to, sp- or to speak for the masses mm. just tells us that they're not trying to solve a problem. They're only putting up a front, right? So it's, wow. we're just going to s- show you this picture that we sure we want to help. Look at these guys. They're black and quote unquote, well, they're African-American and they're influential and they're powerful. You listen to them. We, they, they rock with us. Right. It's a front. So they're putting out there to make it seem like they truly have an intent to want to help or quote unquote save a community. Mm-hmm. Um, when they never had to put that much energy in any other community. Because to me, I think each of any other racial group takes care of themselves. They do. They absolutely they do. They don't ask for anything. Um, that's one. And then. Another, oh, something he mentioned about just this idea of integration. Is integration what's going to save the African-American community? Uh-oh. I think that's something that um, a lot of churches have tried to incorporate uh-huh. in their mission. This, this, this whole this multicultural movement, diversity, diversity movement. And, um, I don't call it foolishness, but it's, a, it's, it's more of a, especially <laughs> when we talk about church, it's more of a money grab. And we'll get to that in a second, but. Yeah. yeah, so just this idea of multicultural integration in the church. You know, that seems to be like the thing that's being toted around as like, this is how we're going to solve all the racism problem. We're going to say, yeah, we understand that we maybe we have racist tendencies, but we're being, you know, at least we're trying because we're multicultural, diverse we're, or whatever. We're sitting in our pews. <laughs> but by doing that, are you, if you're, are you educating the people that you're in a multicultural church with, are you educating them on how, how to be business savvy? Mm. Are you teaching them those business terms? Are you teaching them? Hey, you know, you don't, we can not necessarily that you have to look down on where they live. Cause people in, might enjoy where they live. If, even if it's they a, might. In a they might be set on some hard times. Yeah. And they live there. A, don't mean they want to live there. Yeah. But some people like, our friends who want to stay in a community that might on the outside looking in, it looks like a rough community. Right. But some people are comfortable where they are and they're happy where they are and they have a right to live there. Right. And everybody that's there like them, not 
they're not on Section Eight. They ain't right. They don't court. have they, they they very they ain't missing no meals. And typically, when you have the idea of integration, it's really not integration. It's more of assimilation. Ooh. That you're really well. Hey, we want you to be involved in what we're doing. Right, because that's that's what the brother Bartholomew Jones said on the last podcast. Like diversity is just employing black put and putting black bodies in white spaces. Right. So now you're not really giving the community a voice. You're saying, let me give you a voice. You, if you sound like me, if you look like me, if you work like me, then you'll be accepted. That's the integration, quote unquote. Right, which is really, like you said, assimilation. So how do you, yeah. do, how do you integrate in a way, I guess the question would be, how do you integrate in a way that does not um, oppress and uh, suppress? Oppress, <laughs> oppress me. Like you're not lording over me. I'm not, yeah. it's not Captain Save, uh, you know, garden tool but it's more of a partnership you know where can we where can we get to that and where i can authentically be myself i can authentically be 100 percent a person of the african semitic diaspora and celebrate my culture in front of you without having to feel like i have to somehow suppress my culture and suppress who i am to make you feel comfortable in this space how do we how do we get there how do we do that and I, I don't think, I don't know if anybody has an answer for that. I don't, I don't really think we can. Can no, we? Yeah. No, I think we can. And I think it has to be a mindset shift because I think we feel like it's all about perception, right? Mm-hmm. So you say we feel like they feel like we have, there's this, we, we're putting this on them, right? Well, they need to allow us to be ourselves. When have you seen an African feeling like they work somewhere and they have, they feel like they have to assimilate? No, they're going to speak with their accent. They're going to wear what they wear. They're going to eat what they eat. They're going to be themselves. But they, they, but they also hadn't gone through the whole, you know, um, we're talking about Africans that come from the continent straight here. They hadn't gone through the transatlantic slave trade. They haven't gone through they don't Jim have that Crow. Trauma. They don't have okay. that. And we talked about epigenetics on the show before and how trauma is literally true. sent through DNA it's from generation to generation. But at the same time, with all of this conversation happening like over and over, like you hear several of us having these same conversations. Why don't we take the power into our hands to be like, you know, and you hear all the time, I'm going to be unapo- unapologetically black. I'm going to, I'm unapologetically melanated. Well, let's actually live Melanin that out. Mel- right. So I think <laughs> we're starting to gain some of that pride, but a lot of times we don't know what to do with it. It's just right. like, Oh, we finally found proud. And ah, black right and, and sometimes we attach that stuff everybody. to the wrong people anyway because we did a whole also did a whole we got a whole bunch of episodes y'all so go back and listen to them if you haven't but a whole episode about the, the the real agenda of like black lives matter so we get this black pride and then we attach it to certain organizations and then right, we don't know what to then, do with then it. we learn that those organizations really ain't for the empowerment and uplifting of the african-american community but literally the dismantling of everything that makes a community strong family family yeah absolutely um, so I'm, I'm gonna read something real quick from the scriptures because, uh, again, we, we are people of faith. So we're going to throw some scriptures in, in, in an episode every now and again. Uh, but Psalms, uh, 146, Psalms 146 chapter, uh, verse three, Psalms 146 verse three, it says, do not put your trust in princes, in man, in whom there is no salvation. Do not put your trust in princes and in men in whom there is no salvation. So I think Damn. that makes that very clear that politicians cannot save you, ladies and gentlemen, family. I don't care who, I don't care if it's 
uh, I don't care if Bill Cosby become the president tomorrow. He can't save you. We saw that with Barack Obama. We saw that with, uh, since I've been alive, I've been alive from, from Reagan all the way up to Trump. Nothing's changed in my community. And I think I say that over and over on this podcast. Like, look out your window, look to the left, look to the right. Outside of gentrification, which ain't for you, what has changed? What has really changed? Um, and I will tell you a little bit about integration, a uh, cool history fact about integration. So we talk a lot about, like, Tulsa, Oklahomans, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like our, you know, fists in the air. Like, man, this is when we were great. Mm-hmm. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know there was, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, and the Pinch District, and, and Durham, North Carolinas, and Atlanta, Georgias, and Brownsville, Chicago. There's, there's, there was, there were, um, there's Harlem. There was different, there's, um, I'm trying to say there's, there's a bunch of Tulsa, Oklahomas all over the nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, but what happened in Tulsa made Tulsa, Oklahoma famous, right? Right. What happened in that, in that Greensville district made it, Greenwood district is what made it famous because they, they literally, some, some Caucasian folks got jealous of the excellence that was going on there. And they said, man, these black folks are not, they neighborhood ain't about to be better than ours. So they literally got in their crop dusters and they pickup trucks. They were throwing bombs out of their tra- they crop dusters, shooting people in the street. Out, out of the back of their pickup trucks. Mm. It, was, it was the first domestic terrorist attack in this country, all right, outside of the Revolutionary War, but we ain't going to get into that. Um, <laughs> all right. But the thing <laughs> is, it is a crazy thing, though, about Tulsa. The Tulsa, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre is not what killed the Greenwood community. They rebuilt everything mm. right back to its original luster. Mm-hmm. Everything. You can read this as public information. You can read up uh, history books on Tulsa, Oklahoma, Wikipedia's, um, soundboard, whatever you want to do, newspaper clippings, whatever. It's all out there. They built everything back. Mm -hmm. Here's what killed Tulsa, Oklahoma, Greenwood District. Mm -hmm. Integration. One day, Mm. the white folks was like, well, shoot, we can't tear them down. So maybe if they join us, we can at least, you know, divide and conquer. It's like, listen, y'all don't have to use y'all banks no more. Y'all, come on. Y'all, y'all can bank at Bank of America. Nothing against Bank of America, you know, whatever. Just that's the first bank that popped in my head. Right. I don't even know if it existed back then. Um, you ain't got to use them schools no more. Come on, come on over to our public schools. You want to jump on our planes? We'll fly you, you know. Uh, whatever the business was, like, mm. you can come to our car repair spot and get your, get your, get your, get your Chevy worked on. And it was like, cool, because in their heart of hearts, Tulsa, Oklahoma was not built because we wanted to be excellent African-Americans. It was built out of necessity because we could not be in their schools. We could Mm -hmm. not be in their banks. We could not be in their churches and their um, uh, airplanes and whatever it may be. So when the opportunity opened, these Europeans were smart enough to say, well, what do these folks really want? Oh, they want to be like us. And that's probably not the majority, but enough people left Mm. the Greenwood community and quit putting their dollar in that community to where it eventually dwindled down to nothingness. Wow. Nothingness. So those banks and schools became boarded up, you know, places, boarded up neighborhoods, just Mm. like we see today. I mean, your Memphis's and Atlanta's or wherever you are, wherever else you at, Houston, um, Crenshaw, wherever you at. That's, that's, that's pretty much what happened was it was integration. Now, I'm not saying integration is a horrible thing. Mm. What I am saying, though, because 
if you live in America now, you're forced, it's forced integration, mm-hmm. right? You, you yeah. have to deal with other uh, uh, people of different ethnicities. You just have to. Um, and I'm not saying that I don't, I don't want to. That's just, I mean, that's, I've never lived any other kind of life. We've always done that. America is the great melting pot and all that stuff. So um, where we live is quite diverse. So if I walk out of my house, I have to deal with Europeans and Hispanics and um, uh, uh, people from, you know, uh, Sudan and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Mali and all these other uh, places. You know, we have a huge Muslim. We live in a huge Muslim community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bunch of people from the Middle East. And I know the Middle East is not real. Don't, don't at me on that. But um, Northeast Africa and all these other places, right? right, right. Um, so we see all that, and it's cool. I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem comes in where I have to give up what I have for your stuff. Like, my stuff has to die for your stuff to succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, in order to... So and you're it, willing to let it die. And, you, and, it, and as a people, we're willing yeah. to let it die. Yeah. So does politics save us? Nope. Did integration save us? Because that was the promise back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. We're going to integrate. We're going to take these white-only signs down, and, and all your problems are going to disappear. Well, that just caused more problems because now we can't even build a strong African-American community because we can't keep our dollar inside of the African-American community. Yeah. You know, which leads to the, to the next – well, you said we're going to talk about faith. Well, let's, let's save faith to last because it, okay. it's getting late. I understand. You know, it's real life over here like we always talk about. Um, but quickly, let's talk about economics. So the scripture just said the princes can't save you, man can't save you. But can the almighty dollar save the African-American community? Because the next promise is, yo, we're going to get rid of, we're going to drop the unemployment rate. We're going to get you guys some jobs. We're going to teach you how to do real estate. You're going to own your own business. And all your problems are going to go away. <laughs> and the, the black neighborhood is going to look like, you know, whatever suburb USA. Right. Our spending is not the problem. Uh, we spending pretty good. It's where you're spending it is the issue. Yeah, but yeah, and everybody in yeah. last time I checked, every single European ain't they don't own their own business. They right, work for right. somebody too. Yeah. So and it may be another European, which is true, but majority of people working for somebody. Majority of people in this country do not own their own business. They got their wealth from 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 one of three things: uh, insurance from slavery, insurance from death. I say four things, property, or you got a really good job. Right, that's where you're getting your money from for the majority of part in this mm-hmm. country. Some, some type of slave insurance, some type of insurance because somebody died, some type of property, or you just got a really good job. Right. Um, and most of the time, 80% of the folks just got a really good job. That's what it, it, was, it is what it yeah. is. Um, and I think that's our problem. Our barrier to entry when it comes to employment, I believe, is lacking um, it's not that we don't want to work. Plenty of people that want to work see it all yeah. the time. It's just like, man, and then they kind of they kind of make it like a impossible thing. Well, you can't have this job if you don't have this this education. Okay, well I go get this education. Well, you got the education, but you can't have this job unless you do this internship at this company. Okay, well I go to this company, I do this internship, but now they say I've bombed this internship, which I really did good, but I just didn't want to kiss up to nobody. And I was just being myself, but they didn't like that. <laughs> so now what do I do? Now I can't, I can't I, like you're kind of like in this rat race mm. and like Malcolm X said, yes, there's some that slip through the cracks and some that make it. Uh, there's some of us that own our own businesses and have great jobs, lawyers and doctors and, you know, politicians and all this other stuff that make great money. Um, but the problem is a lot of them, unlike some of our friends move out of the neighborhoods in which they grew up in. 
and they don't mm-hmm. provide any of that stuff back into the neighborhood. So mm-hmm. I think that's where the the wealth gap comes in. Mm. Europeans, Asians, Hispanics, whatever, Indians, you name it. And when I say Indians, I mean people really from India, yeah. uh, not Native Americans. Um, they actually reach back and they're like, yo, don't waste your money on college. Yeah, I'm going to tell you everything I know. I'm going to pull you into this business. Ain't nobody going to say nothing because I did it. You're my protege. Yeah. When I die or when I retire, you're not going to be the CEO. You're still going to start at the ground level. Make sure you take care of, though. You can rise up in this company. Like, where there's not enough of us who own companies or, or, or who are even in companies. Or, or you're, you're the HR rep. You're mm-hmm. the hiring managers at different places. And take those opportunities to hire that young African-American brother, that young African-American sister. Even when they may not have the experience, they may not look the way you want them to look, may not sound the way you want them to sound, but they could be the best worker you've ever had and better than that person that got them that four-year degree and that master's degree. Mm. Very possible. Yeah. Very possible. Um, so I, I, don't yeah. Think, I don't think politics is going to save you. I don't think begging for jobs is going to save because it doesn't, we, our unemployment rate is still high. The wealth gap is getting worse. Yeah. Like not, wealth and politics don't save us. So we move on to faith. Move on to faith. But the question is, okay, well then, it seems as if <laughs> every nation of people has a unified faith. Either you're that for the majority of people, you're either that or nothing, mm-hmm. or uh, maybe a small amount of people that's something else. But it seems like black, we all over the place. Mm. And we, 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 some of us are Hindu, some of us mm-hmm. are Buddhist, some of us, the majority of us we know are Christian. Uh, you know, some of us are Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's all over the place. All over the place. And, and the question, is, if faith is going to save us, what faith? What mm. faith? How, how do we get saved through faith if faith is going to save us? Um, in my opinion, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you would agree, is that if you read the scriptures, now I ain't talking about opening up your Bible and going to the book of John because you didn't, you didn't went to the, to the end of the movie, trying to, <laughs> trying to understand a whole three-hour movie, and you, you, didn't, you didn't jump to the last 30, 30 minutes. Started with part five. Man, what? You're trying to understand the Matrix. You had, you had 30 minutes left in, in, in the third Matrix movie. I'm not. This no ain't sense. no Star Wars. Man. Start at number one. Man, what? <laughs> Uh, so if I start in Genesis and mm. make my way through Revelation, the recurring theme over and over is, hey, you guys, whether you're Israel, whether you've converted or whether you're another nation, the only way stuff's going to really be good for you eternally and sometimes right here on earth, if you follow the God who created this world and you follow his laws, statutes, commandments, you follow the way he wants you to live especially for those who we know are Israel, right? Who are connected to Israel. So if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you are connected to the transatlantic slave trade, the the sub-Saharan slave trade, if you're from the, if you, excuse me, if you trace your um, ancestry back to the the west coast of Africa, to the northern part of Africa, uh, Spain, Portugal, uh, Cape Verde, um, um, what else? Uh, St. Tome, South Africa sometimes, if the, 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 uh, Limba tribe down there, some Ethiopians, it's all kind of stuff. More than likely, 
you're part of the you're part of a tribe of what you're part of one of the twelve tribes of Israel, the original mm-hmm. people there at Mount Sinai, the chosen people of the Most High, um, and the only way that we make it and that is good for us if we follow His commandments. And we can look clearly at the African-American community and see every single curse that's in the, in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and see it in our community. How do we get rid of a curse? How do we get rid of a bad thing? We have to, re- how do you reverse it? Mm-hmm. Well, you, you got to start backtracking. It seems like every generation of ours get worse. Mm-hmm. The music gets worse. The mm-hmm. language gets worse. The value system gets worse. Mm-hmm. You can go back 60 years ago uh, in the time my, my grandmother's, what, 20 years old, 60 years ago. Um, she was dressing modest. Mom and dad stayed. There was a mother and a father in the home. It wasn't a dad and a dad. It wasn't a mama and a mama. Mm-hmm. It was a mother and a father. Both of them were working in some kind of capacity, whether mom was staying home and dad was working or they were both working or whatever. They had a job mm-hmm. in some kind of way, form or fashion. Um, all the neighbors knew one another. We built real relationships. We didn't allow any foolishness to come into the community, Right? Uh, it seems like each generation we get further and further and further away from our classical values as an African-American family and an African-American community. And we, we rely mm-hmm. more on these princes and mortal men mm-hmm. than we do on our own excellence and the, and the God that created us yeah. to change stuff. Yeah. Um, the more I just think about even just all of those different scenarios and you know whether it's politics that's trying to save us um, economics faith um, and all of those scenarios I, it feels like we have some level of identity crisis mm. it's like we're trying to we want to be accepted right number one um, it's like we're fighting this lifelong battle of finding our way back to something and we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anybody who is in this country and is a descendant of um, someone who was brought here as a slave, like the thread is just seems like we want to f- have value. We want to be valued because we're people because for so long you were not a people, right? You were not, you were not people like, as a person. You were not even human. You weren't a human. You, right? was, you, so, you were a, you were a tool. You were a, uh, what three fourths, two thirds of a human being, whatever the Constitution said you are. Right. So now yeah. you're trying to find value in yourself, and then once you start finding that value, you just kind of it's, it's like watching our people just doing this. I don't know what you call it, but they're all over the place trying to find somewhere where they fit in mm-hmm. instead of just being. So finding whatever that identity to, identity is, whether you believe you're an Israelite or not there's the core of who you are and yes the way back to some level of um normalcy for us as a group of people is torah yeah connecting back to your hebrew roots which is very connected with yes spirituality and our Mm -hmm. culture is entwined right and that covers spirituality economics and yes. leadership or poli- I mean, the, How to treat, yeah, politics the, the here. The Torah fixes, fixes it. And if you don't know what the Torah is, it's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Um, it lays out so many different structures on how to build a healthy, strong, everlasting community. Right. Um, 
and so you know and you know forgetting what what other communities are doing they're doing their thing and it's working for them great but for us when you look at the fact that you don't have it's it's I hate to say that it's like you don't have an identity mm. you have these people have theirs right. they've decided we serve a God, you know, whoever they decide that they is. want to serve. <laughs> we have this land. It's ours. Mm-hmm. And we've created our system. It's ours. It works perfectly for them. So whatever we're trying to do ain't going to fit in their system because it's theirs. So it's the question is, ours. can we have a successful system within a system that's built to keep us down? Excuse my French, but hell no. So, so what's the solution? I mean, everybody can't get on a plane and go to Le- live no, in Lagos, right, Nigeria. No. <laughs> I mean, some right. some people gonna live and die in, in Atlanta, Georgia. What, what do we do? What do we do there? Right. So, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but honestly, and I think that's been the conversation that's just kind of brewing, um, just in different circles, is finding ways for us to get together and to get ourselves in this in the in the place where we're stable. Man, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, he, I don't think we can do that without connecting back to again what I believe is our Hebrew roots. Like you, you can't, you can't be successful yeah. void of your. Everybody mm-hmm. who's successful, some way or another, connected to their culture. Yes, we're not. We're we're keep trying to connect to everybody else's culture, or we're selling right. our culture away, right, right. as Malcolm X just said. Like yeah. we willingly selling our culture away, or we're trying to assimilate into somebody else's. Like no, mm-hmm. my brother and my sister, you're Hebrew. Be proud of that. Be a Hebrew. Serve, do Hebrew things. Mm-hmm. Serve the God that yeah. he, the Hebrews serve. Uh, uh, build, learn, just like they did. Like everything. Like the, if you read the scriptures when they were when they were actually serving their God and not trying to assimilate into other cultures, and we see that as also a underlining mm-hmm. current in the scriptures. Like the Hebrew people, the Israelites wanted to keep assimilating. They want to assimilate into Babylon. They want to assimilate mm-hmm. into the Greeks. They wanted to be Romans. Um, they, they wanted to serve the gods of Canaan and the gods of Egypt. Like they wanted to be somebody other than what God had already made them. If we start falling in love with ourself, with ourself Mm -hmm. and not looking out the window at what, whatever else got, we can start building something special. So if that, obviously everybody, again, can't, you can't go off and live in Nairobi, Kenya. Everybody can't do that. Right. But man, you can, and this is far fetched. But number one, you got a neighborhood you're living in. You start cleaning that up, clean up the trash, help paint uh, different houses that look crazy. Uh, go petition uh, your city uh, council, your your alderman, your mayor to to either tear down these these trap houses, these boarded up houses, or buy at your own and f- some kind of way get it from the city for a little bit of nothing because there's programs that allow you to do that um, and fix it up yourself as a community. Or heck. Far-fetched, there's a lot of land available in Montana, Wyoming. Uh, there's a lot of ghost cities that mm-hmm. people are selling literally for like $100,000. Like we can't get together as a people and, and, and have $100,000. We spend more than that on a Saturday on Jordans. Yeah. Well, so, then, okay, sure, we can do something like that. I, I understand that's far-fetched. It may never no, happen. No, I'm just right. throwing it out there. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I think I'm just, I'm still processing, kind of thinking all of this through. But, um, 
because one yeah you mentioned you know you live in a community you can paint or whatever but not all of us live in an african-american community so true, how do you get true. connected how do you find people who are like-minded how do you connect with people who are trying to strengthen our community in a way that's wholesome not in a way that's so connected to the system because i think there are we'll a lot of different there. yeah and there's a lot of other movements and groups who are looking to um uplift the african-american community right right put yourself out there yeah but like i'm saying it's still else? very much tied to the system of this country it's very much tied to right like what, like black lives or matter or whatever something like i get you but there's them or somebody else like, yeah, i'm just saying them because that's the you know that's the, the that's the popular one right now right but i'm saying even churches i was listening to some radio station that was on one of the christian ones and th- like <laughs> during <laughs> still listen to christian radio no it was just on <laughs> just like I think maybe it was one song that was on that I liked. I was like, oh, okay. But it was like during um, voting season. Mm-hmm. And, man, they were pushing the voting so bad. They were like, guys, we got to go out there. We got to vote. You know, because that's the way that we get our voices heard. And blah. I'm like, I know yeah. that you guys want to help our people. But you're so, everything's so politicized. It's, you're yeah, so connected to, to this, this nation. This, like, we yeah. can't, um, I personally don't believe think that we can uplift our people by being so attached to the system it doesn't work away. it it's um it's there's a clash there it's mm-hmm. not made for us to succeed so if you're like hey our way out is if we get together and vote over here no it's not right whatever you vote they have a plan to make sure that you don't get what you're trying to get. it's not for you right so i, I think so i'm going to rabbit hole here but yeah go ahead i think and, and we we're gonna wrap this up here i think that um and I'll just throw out a, a solution because I don't I don't want to bring up a bunch of problems and not not come forth with a solution. But yeah, working I, together. I think number one, working together. Uh, that's like the generic one, right? Let's all get together. Number two, <laughs> um, you know, we're on Facebook, black folk on Facebook a lot, Twitter a lot, mm-hmm. Instagram a lot, um, putting up funny videos, fight videos. How about mm-hmm. somebody be like, "Yo, um, my name is X Y Z. Um, I live in the, you know, I don't know." The D.C. area, you know, just throwing a, a, a black city out there. And D.C. really ain't even that black no more, but whatever. I live in the Atlanta area. Um, I'm going to meet you at X, X Park. And anybody who really wants to uplift the black community and try to, or the African-American community, and try to get something done and to, to rebuild our communities, meet me here at this time. Let's talk about it. Something that simple. Or if don't, we want to be at the park, we want to get ambushed. People, you know, our people are paranoid. Hey, mm-hmm. meet me at the library. I'm, I'm being room, <laughs> whatever. Rent yourself out of room at the library. I'm be in this room. I'm be on this level of library. I mean, our city has, you know, libraries at multiple levels, whatever. You don't, I'm, I'm, I'll be sitting at the front table, at the <laughs> library, wearing a red hat. Right. And ain't going to say MAGA on it. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it's just different stuff. Real, you know, small practical stuff. Um. Uh, that we can do. I, I forgot what my other s- solution was. Oh, we can also learn. We can learn a lot from other cultures. Mm. Uh, the um, Although I've boycotted all this stuff because the way they treated our people during coronavirus, blaming Africans for coronavirus Just in China in and busting their head over. I don't, eat, I don't eat food with Chinese food or nothing no more. But um, you can learn a lot from the Chinese culture. When we lived in Boston, it didn't matter what was going on with Boston politics. It did not matter what was going on with Boston proper as a whole. Boston could be burning to the ground, but Chinatown was going to move how Chinatown moved. <laughs> didn't matter. They didn't care about 
anything else happening outside of Chinatown, they care less. Because they was gonna con- they was gonna run it however they felt like they was gonna run it, whether it was legal or not, they were gonna do what they gonna do. <laughs> and they, and and that's in anywhere you go to Boston, whether you go to New York, whether you go to San Francisco, these places have large L.A. places have large groups of of uh, Asian Americans. They've found a way to not only bring their culture here, but also live in the way that honors their culture, honors their history. And they, they do it all with their own. They have, they have their own food. They have their own grocery stores, their own doctors, all that stuff. So that's what we have to build. Our, we, can, we, cannot build our, we can build our own. We've seen other cultures do it. And by God, I'm not going to sit here and believe that these other cultures are more dynamic than we are. No, it can right. be done. Yeah. But like you said, Teresi, we have to somehow break from the system. It's the system that has us trapped. If we can break from the system and, and quit believing that, uh, you know, this political system, this faith system, this economic system is going to save you. Once you break from that, then you begin to realize and look up like, man, other cultures are killing it. Um, they may not have the mansion on the hill, but, man, they're a strong community that stays together. And I, I guarantee you right now, Chinatown, I don't even care. They can hate one another, be rival restaurants, but they ain't going to let them Caucasians come in and ransack what they done built up. Mm-hmm. They'll bust the Caucasian. They, they'll pause. With, <laughs> they'll, they'll put whatever they got on pause and bust somebody's head open before they let their community go to the ground. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's kind of the attitude we have to do. We have to bond together. We have to find ways to really have conversations, not about, you know, how do we end racism? Can we forget that conversation? It's, let me tell you something. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Never. Mm. So let's stop those conversations now. The Caucasians going to be who they are. Fine, whatever. Can we move on? Our focus now should be the conversation. How do we build our own yeah. and sustain it? Yeah. How do we do that? Those are the conversations. What are some other um, ethnic groups that have come to this country um, and have been uh, maligned and oppressed like the Asian Americans mm-hmm. um, and systems have been created to keep them down? How do, how do they rise up? Um, they literally secluded themselves from, from the system. And start building their own stuff up. So that's kind of what we have to look at and, and do. I ain't saying be, be a Chinaman, but I'm saying <laughs> we can learn. We have to humble ourselves because we don't know. Mm-hmm. If we knew, we would have done it already. Mm-hmm. Humble ourselves, mm-hmm. learn, and then bring that information back to our people so that we can grow um, and do something great in our own community. Any last words you got? Um, yeah. My last thought is, you know, when we even when we think about learning from other cultures, mm-hmm. I think the key of the, in that is figuring out who we are as a people. Absolutely. Let's figure out who we are, what's our identity. And I'm sure you can probably list some resources in your description about, you know, understanding who we are as Hebrews or descendants of a Semitic um, diaspora. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? How do you return to those roots? And how do we start building a community or a um creating our own system that allows us to thrive absolutely i'll put some uh some books in the description uh podcast description below but listen this has been great um i thank everybody who's listened to us this has been a long podcast so if you stayed through the whole thing listen all the way through you're a champion we thank y'all for doing that listen again if you want to support this podcast you can always go to jacob c podcast and there's a bevy of ways to support there you can always get the latest um latest episode as well well as news um about the podcast as well so all my listeners As always, keep it 98 plus 2. Seek the truth. Live it out. Form others. Shalom.
Shalom, everybody.